Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast where your host, Ryan Tansom, brings you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Life After Business podcast. This is episode 148. Today's guest's name is Peter Lehrman. And Peter got his start as an entrepreneur because his brother was an entrepreneur, his dad was an entrepreneur. He worked with his brother for six years, built a pretty cool platform that he'll talk about a little bit about. But he went back and got his graduate degree at Stanford. And when he started realizing as he was working for a private equity firm while going to school, how inefficient the middle market privately held industry is and how mergers and acquisitions happen. And one of my biggest you know, ahas I've had over the last five years since I started the podcast and we sold the business is, I mean, there is so much inefficiencies because there is no universal platform like Zillow that shows you every business for sale that you can't really just go and understand all the different types of buyers, where they get their money, what their motives are. It's just very scattered with the information and there's huge gaps in understanding how it all happens. There's a podcast I listened to uh, and I kind of gotten addicted to recently called the Private Equity Fundcast, where these two guys talk about the ins and outs of the private equity industry. And they mentioned that most of the uh, private equity folks talk about proprietary deal flow processes, which all they mean is it's so hard for buyers to find companies that they literally go out and hustle from trade shows to, to cold calling. And if you're the, a seller, you've had a ton of the different emails or letters that come to you saying, hey, we're looking to sell or we're looking to buy a business between you know 250 grand in EBITDA and 3 million in EBITDA, et cetera. But it's all through analog sources. And so what that does for you, the seller, is it it, it becomes very fragmented on how you have to go to market. So if you list with a broker right now, they're, you're going to be exposed to the people that go to their website or on their email list. And that's about it. Or you, if you have an investment banker that you hired, it's up to them and their network and their process to shake the trees and find 200, you know, 300, 400 business or business buyers out there, drive them through a process to find you. And so when you think about all the, I mean, how ridiculously inefficient that is, you start to say, well, how are the different, how can we make this a better process for the sellers so that way you get, you know, the highest probability of finding the, the buyer that's right for you for the right terms and the price, et cetera. And Peter and his uh, company, Axial.net, have created a platform that has done 2,000 transactions since the inception. They've done over $25 billion in transaction value. And their goal is to essentially create this middle market networking platform so buyers and sellers and people wanting to raise money or invest have a, a way to engage with each other so that way your the sellers are more educated, the buyers and the investors have a better understanding of finding quality uh, investments and partners of companies they want to buy in. So I just was super excited to have Peter on the show because with the sheer quantity and volume of transactions and people he talks to, he was able to sh uh, shed some insight on what he's seeing with valuations, pitfalls that is happening with sellers and what the, the you as a seller needs to do in order to level up your education, you know, things that uh, the buyers and the investment bankers, challenges that they deal with, with uneducated sellers. And he and I just had an overall blast chatting about the industry, trends that we're seeing, different things that we know need to be changed. And, you know, it just, it was an overall great conversation. And I think no matter whether you're on the buying side or the selling side, it'll be a great podcast for you to kind of get an overall pulse on what's going on and some additional tools that are available to people out there that are trying to help move the, move the industry forward. So with that being said, I really hope you enjoy this interview with Peter. This episode of Life After Business is sponsored by GEXP Collaborative. Their proven process gives you clarity on all of your exit options and how those options impact your financial success, timing, and future happiness. Sell your company on your time frame to the buyer of your choice at the price you want. Morning, Peter. How you doing? Hey, how are you, Ryan? Good. I'm looking looking forward to this. Yeah, I, I appreciate you actually uh, agreeing to come on the show. I've been following what Axel's been doing for quite a while, and uh, my buddies actually just ended up signing up because he's looking to to continue his acquisition spree. And you know what I really loved about you know what you guys are doing, and we're going to dive into it is. 
you know, the quote that you got on your page about talking about how inefficient the middle market is. And I think we're going to be diving into that. But so for the listeners who aren't familiar with you or actually maybe you kind of, you know, explain a little bit of your background and then how did you start the company? What was uh, the kind of the things you were trying to solve? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, first of all, Ryan, thanks so much for, for having me on the podcast. I, I love what you're doing and uh, delighted to be your guest today. So uh, very quickly, for those who, who aren't familiar with Axial, we've built a, a private platform that's confidentially uh, designed to connect buyers and sellers of privately held companies. And our focus is on mid-market businesses in North America, although we serve both buyers and sellers around the world. So that's the quick, you know, sort of elevator pitch on what Axial is and, and who we work with and, and excited to dive in and, and talk more about the market and some of the things we're trying to do to improve it. Very quickly on me, I am I'm a son of an entrepreneur, actually, um, and also a younger brother uh, to, a, to an older entrepreneur brother who I joined right out of college. He was starting a company here in New York, and I was coming out of college. So I joined my brother Thomas and uh, his co-founder to develop a business, in, um, which got started in about 2000. And that business was developing uh, a set of capabilities to connect uh, experts on any topic or any industry hmm. with professional investors. And um, that business is, uh, goes by the name of GLG. Uh, it's also based here in New York. And so I spent the first six plus years of my life working uh, for my brother and my brother's co-founder, developing what really ultimately turned out to be a marketplace for subject matter expertise um, hmm. that was used by investors to make better decisions and access expertise quickly. And I then what left one expertise I'm like that's super expertise on any really on any topic. It's a really interesting business. It's used by a lot of the world's uh, strategy consulting firms. Uh, hmm. The private equity community uses it to uh, find experts as part of a due diligence process. If they want to understand a business more quickly and more efficiently, it's a useful product for them. Hmm. Uh, so really anybody who wants expertise on demand um, and wants to be able to sort of pay by the hour to speak with experts, both self-proclaimed experts as well as, you know, accidental experts, people who spend 10 years operating a power plant and understand hmm. exactly how power gets produced and distributed. I mean, it's, just, it's kind of an interesting platform yeah, for all cool. kinds of, of expertise. I spent six plus years there working very carefully with both professional investors and in private companies as well as uh, in, in public companies. Then I uh, went back to, to, to school, actually, more education and um, got a, a graduate degree at Stanford in 2006 to 2008. And it was during my um, my time at Stanford that I worked part time for a private equity firm that was investing in small and mid-sized businesses. And that was my first sort of front row seat into mm -hmm. the way in which businesses are bought and sold in the, the private market, as opposed to you know big publicly traded stocks like Google and Apple. This was my sort of first front row seat into how small and mid-sized businesses are sold, how buyers find them. And I was really struck by uh, <laughs> the, the whole process and uh, or lack of <laughs> yeah, whole lack of a process, the whole process, the status quo, the way in which uh, buyers find sellers, the way in which sellers find buyers, and what was so clearly just a completely haphazard uh, status quo with a lot of information gaps and information asymmetry that in some cases were very disadvantageous to the business owners and in some cases were disadvantageous to you know to the investors so lots mm -hmm. of problems with the status quo and so in 2009 to make a long story short incorporated axial to to serve as a neutral platform that is designed to provide tools and information and uh, a set of connections between buyers and sellers and um you know, really aspires to um, to just improve the way that the market works, both to improve the you know the outcomes for entrepreneurs, but also to make sure that great investors, great investment partners, can more easily be found and can be rewarded for the the good work and the hard work that you know gets done on both sides of the table. It's it's um, it's not just entrepreneurs who who need the help. Um, you know, really both, yeah. both really both sides need 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 help in order to to create a, a better economy for entrepreneurs and for entrepreneurship.
Well, I love it. And we're going to be diving into that because, uh, you know, some of those gaps that you, you, you saw and what, you know, which are still out there, but be you know, just to kind of give uh, some weight behind that. So can you, I, I don't know, I must, if you've got like the numbers memorized, but I got, I got them here if you want, <laughs> but the, the, you know, the amount of transactions, the amount of uh, deal flow and stuff that like just to quantify, you know, what it is that, and the momentum that you guys have been picking up, because I think it, you know, it, with with an inefficient marketplace like this, you know, data is hard to find and like yeah. understanding what's going on. So I think you guys have kind of built quite, uh, quite the uh, momentum behind it. Yeah, so you just want a couple of stats yeah, on the platform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, sure. What has actually happened on the platform over the, over the last decade? Yeah, so right. Um, so a couple of things. So you know, we focus on we're disproportionately focused on what we call the lower middle market, which um, refers to you know businesses uh, typically that are generating somewhere between about five and a hundred million in sales. The lower middle market, from a transaction value perspective, tends to refer to businesses whose value is approximately somewhere between ten and two hundred fifty million dollars. So that's the part of the market that we've really dedicated ourselves to. Um, there are opportunities um, in, in other markets as well, probably, but that's the market that we really love. That's the market that we feel we can add the most value to and the one that we're most sort of well positioned to serve. Mm -hmm. Within that market, there are roughly, if you sort of look at U.S. Census data, uh, roughly somewhere in the neighborhood of about 300 to 400,000 businesses just in the United States alone um, that make up somewhere between a third and 40% of American GDP and about 100 million jobs. I was just going to say, like, you and I are going, is that from GF Data too that you're getting that? Because I, I, I cite those on the podcast a lot. So it's like the 20,000 above the 100 million in sales, 350, yeah. and then it's like, you know, 5.6 million companies that are below the 5 million, but like the, the heart that you're talking about is. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually, um, in between census bureau data and then the national center for the middle market, which is an academic, uh, undertaking yeah. out of Ohio state university. Um, so, so that's what I'm citing there. And then with respect to axial, which is a, you know, a platform that both buyers and sellers and also M&A advisors can join in order to uh, find and connect and be found by the right opportunities. Um, on our platform, we have about 1,700 unique buyers of lower middle market businesses. And then we have, in any given month right now, we have about 500 transactions that are entering the market. In other words, an entrepreneur either on his or her own or in partnership and in affiliation with an investment banker or an M&A advisor who they have hired and, and authorized is sort of entering the market to explore an acquisition, an exit, or, you know, some sort of uh, capital raise. Mm -hmm. So right now on a run rate basis, about somewhere between call it five to 7,000 transactions entering the market on an annualized basis. And, if you look at the American lower middle market and you sort of roughly sketch it out as, you know, 300 to 400,000 business market, our best estimates are that somewhere between five and 10% of those 350,000 businesses are transacting on an annual basis, right? So not all of those businesses are transacting every year, but somewhere between probably five and 10% of them are transacting every year. So my general sense is that in any given year, there's somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, 30 to 40,000 transactions. Is that, that picking are, up because of the boomers, Peter? I mean, do you see that, that I, do you see the actual, and maybe we don't, I don't want to, you know, it's, it's hard to, to confirm that, that the activity in the market is, you know, sort of heating is, up or, is causally related to, yeah. to, to baby boomers. There have been so many articles over the last five years written about you know baby boomers and and this tidal wave of of businesses that are um, going to be for sale but we don't see some you know massive discontinuous growth you know in the uh, growth rate in the number of businesses it's a very robust market right now to sell businesses and so there is a lot of selling activity occurring, but I'm not sure that it's, you know, you know, that there's this massive, you know, surge of tidal energy related to the baby boomers, you know, sort of all, you know, heading for the exits all at the same time. I think the right. truth is that 
every year some portion of them decide that they want to uh, proceed some portion of them decide to transfer the business into the gen you know the next generation I think some of them are exploring uh, ESOPs which allow them to transfer ownership to to their employees sometimes they explore a management buyout where the number two or the number three executive in the business who reports to the owner ends up becoming the new owner so I think there's a lot of ways that these businesses tra trade hands and I think sometimes they trade hands without anybody, anybody even knowing anybody even knowing exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, you know, let's stop. I'm curious, you know, on your definition, because I think about the inefficient marketplace and my analogy, and I don't know if you want to take and run with this and how you guys are filling some of these gaps, but like it's, I, I gave the analogy to someone like the M and a in the lower market, like you were talking about is like the world of real estate before Zillow and the internet. <laughs> it's like, that because no one like the, like what a valuation is is totally made up most of the time unless they actually look at the intrinsic like you know discounted cash flow model and then like you said the process I was listening have you ever heard of a uh, the private equity fund cast yes yeah yes. those guys are talking about the proprietary deal flow process and it literally just means oh people just hustling on a trade show or something like that so I'm like maybe give your definition of like you know what do you mean by inefficient you know and how like how are what would be the ultimate goal and like, what's your goal of, uh, of filling the gaps? Well, I think, you know, so let me, I'll take, I'll take the answers in the order that you, or the questions in the orders that you, you, you asked them. I think uh, there's a couple of, of major, um, there's a couple of major inefficiencies in the market that I think are in one way or another, largely born of some sort of information gap in the market. And I, when I say information, I sort of say information broadly defined. Right. So one, we, we believe that one really critical form of information that the market needs is that, and if you're selling a business, this is obviously very important is who is genuinely transactionally active on the buy side, right? Mm -hmm. Who is currently when, when it's time for you to sell your business, you, you only care about firms that are either definitively actively looking to acquire businesses or at least open open to doing so. It doesn't matter if a firm is a perfect fit to buy your business if they are, they've just finished acquiring some other business and they're going to take the next three years to ingest that acquisition. Mm -hmm. the, the timing matters so much in this market. So I think one very important piece of information that the market really benefits from is just knowing in real time who is active and who is not active. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's a really, really important Active with um, the ability to actually have the funds to to purchase it too, right? Yeah. That, so, yep. So you're you're yeah you're jumping ahead, but that's <laughs> no 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 that's fine. That's it. so yeah. So uh, another thing is just you know capacity to close, right? You know what is the capacity of the organization to close the transaction, and uh, to what extent can they make that information verifiable and ascertainable by the seller? So if you're Google, it's really easy, right? Everyone knows who Google is. And if you have any doubt about Google, you can go to the SEC's website and you can look up their 10K and you'll see that they've got, you know, 20, $30 billion in capital just sitting on their balance sheet, right? <laughs> so if you want to sell your, your $25 million business to them, cash is not the, is not the constraint, right? <laughs> right. Um, you know, the, the, the constraint is whether or not your business is, is relevant and interesting and strategic to them, but cash is not the issue. The problem is that a great, great many businesses in the lower middle market are not going to be acquired by well-known entities like Google. They're going to be um, potentially acquired by other owner-operated businesses. They're going to be um, potentially acquired by private equity firms that have a very limited uh, reputation or limited uh, ascertainable reputation. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it won't be clear based upon the website whether or not they have certain amount of capital available. It won't be clear whether that capital is available at arm's length. In other words, they can call that capital from their investors or they have to persuade their investors on a deal by deal basis mm -hmm. uh, to do it. So again, the capacity of any entity and organization to close is very important uh, for a seller um, to, to be able to vet. Um, and those are things that any seller is very well advised to vet on their own if they're selling the business themselves. If they're working with an M&A advisor, that's going to be obviously a very important thing for an M&A advisor to be, to be verifying for them. Well, I just, uh, 
can, if I can just say, because I want to, I don't want to interrupt your train of thought too much, but no problem. Yeah, sure. But like, even like, you know, so you got the brokers who like, they just slap it on a website, right. And then like, they might have some rough process depending on, you know, the size of the company and the, and the broker, but then you have the investment bankers who are like, they get paid such a large fee to go find these people, right? I mean, they have to go like literally shake the trees to find these active buyers. And that's, that's like one of their hardest jobs, right? I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, look, you know, they're, you know, they're in the business of, of helping, you know, businesses, you know, get bought and sold. Um, they, they really, as a, as a professional class, you know, they make all of their economics are, are lar very largely leveraged to whether or not they, you know, they successfully close the sale of a business. They should be, you know, keeping their lights on with a retainer to the extent that that's appropriate and necessary. But, you know, investment bankers should be really aligned with, you know, with, with uh, a transaction getting closed successfully. And so you're right, they, they need to spend a significant amount of their time determining who is active, who is relevant, who has the capacity to close. And then um, I, I was going to just sort of say, I think one of the you know, sort of last bits of information that's really, really important for, for sellers to understand, and I think this matters much more when you're buying and selling businesses than when you're buying and selling real estate, is what is the reputation of the buyer? Right. What is the, what is what is the reputation of the buyer? And I mean reputation broadly defined. I mean, what is their history of buying businesses in your industry? What is the absence of the history? And does anything tell you one way or another about that? Um, are they responsive and easy to deal with? Do they have a history of you know just good behavior after the transactions? Right. You know, if you pick up the phone, if they're a repeat buyer of businesses, if you pick up the phone and you call three or four or five CEOs who sold their business to that, you know, to that buyer, whether it's a corporate buyer or whether it's a private equity buyer, you know, and you were on an anonymous phone call with that CEO, what would they say? Mm -hmm. Right? And what, what would they tell you? So I think the reputation of the buyer, the capacity for the buyer to close, and then understanding what the buyer's current appetite and intent is are three really, really critical pieces of information that really dictate how a seller should be spending their time and who they should be spending their time with. And that information, it, you know, the, the government doesn't maintain that information, right? It's not uh, some publicly available uh, source of information that we can all use and rely on. So a lot of what we have worked really hard to develop at Axial is to try and lean into some of those information gaps mm -hmm. uh, and make some of that information uh, more available. The reputation is is probably one of the most interesting things. You know, once you sell your house, you couldn't care less whether they tear it down or whether they, you know, it's a house. There's, you know, there's no, you know, there's little you know, emotion. Yeah, so there's not there's not a lot of emotion, yourself, right? right? You know, there's not a lot of emotion. Sure, yeah, there are you know there are cases like that where you know your grandfather built the house himself or something like that. But generally speaking, as long as you've you know achieved a fair number for the home and you've moved out, you know it's it's not a living thing. Whereas when you sell your business, whether or not you're going to be staying on to run the business after the sale, or whether you know or whether you're going to be moving on, you know the business continues to have a life. There are people that are going to be at that business working in employee and executive capacities. There are customers. There is the name of the business and the reputation of the business in its market and with its customers. So it's a more complex decision for a seller than it is when you're, when you're selling a home. And I think that's why reputation in the market is very, very important um, in the purchase and sale of businesses, whereas I think it's less interesting of a data point for, you know, for a firm like Zillow to worry about. Yeah. Well, it's, it is. I mean, it's a, it's a big jigsaw puzzle. And like, you know, like understanding what their motive, not only their reputation, but the motives for buying the business too. <laughs> I mean, because they can have a completely different motive, even though they might have a good reputation. What, are they, what, what is the point of buying the company, right? And like understanding how that fits yeah. or... That's exactly right. And, and, you know, I think, unfortunately, um, you know, there's a limited, it, it, you will never get perfect information in these transactions. And, you know, someone can present themselves as very easy to do business and they can lay out a motive for acquiring the business that sounds very coherent and, and attractive to the seller. And then, you know, once the ink is dry on the purchase agreement, they, they, they are legally in a position to proceed as they see fit with the business. And, and that's part of, 
you know, that's, I guess, part of the painful reality of deciding to sell your business is, you know, you are selling control of the entity to somebody else. So you can never fully protect yourself against, you know, hidden motives and, and, and things like that. But, um, but I think you can, I think with, with the right time horizon, the right preparation, uh, and the right set of tools and information, I think you can really manage those risks much better than, than you could in the pre-internet age, uh, right. as an example. Yeah. So one of the, you know, what, when you think about the, the challenges that like, I was actually talking to, uh, this uh, friend here, he's in the private equity space and, you know, you talk about, you know, the, the private equity fund cast, there's all these people that are trying to circumvent systems like yours because they want to buy it on the cheap, right? Or not necessarily that that might be the wrong yeah. way to articulate it, but you know, they want a good deal, right? So yeah. Yeah. the more efficient a marketplace is, the more efficient the valuations are and the actual target pricing, right? So how are you, how, are, how do you see that challenge as in, as you are striving to make a more efficient market that you're dealing with kind of like the fray of we're attracting the right buyers. If that, does that question make sense? No, it, it totally makes sense. I, I think it's a bit of a, um, I mean, I, I understand that hypothesis obviously um, that, you know, and, and the perspective that, you know, that a buyer might have, I, I think it's largely uh, untrue regardless of whether or not you're using platforms like Axial to develop relationships and to find a pipeline of, of target opportunities. The truth is that whether or not a seller of a business is, is, is using a platform like Axial or has higher, you know, if a seller spends any time online reading just some good basic literature, if a seller hires uh, an M&A advisor who has a reasonable degree of experience and professionalism, uh, the truth is that the, uh, in all likelihood, the seller is going to approach a meaningful number of potential buyers uh, when they enter the market to explore the sale of the business. And so the idea that you know, the offline world you know, it is a world that's filled with uh, a whole bunch of opportunities where you're going to be the only buyer at the table. That's just, that's not correct. That's factually wrong. And I think what, what platforms like Axial do is maybe make that the feeling uh, a little bit more visceral that the buyer feels. So they sort of feel like, okay, if I'm joining these platforms, I'm competing directly with other buyers. It's maybe a little less obvious to them that they're sort of dealing with that competition when they do things in the offline world. But I do think that the truth of the matter is good businesses uh, that are carefully preparing for a sale, carefully selecting an M&A advisor or thoughtfully preparing to do it themselves they're always going to be in a position in the modern day to approach multiple buyers and run a process where they're reaching out to those buyers concurrently. They don't have to use a platform like Axial. They can just use email and a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet and, and the telephone, and they can just do it the good old fashioned way. And so what that really means for buyers is that, you know, you really can't put your head in the sand on this topic anymore if you're, if you're a buyer and just sort of say, well, I'm just going to only talk to, you know, to business owners that are not using a, an online platform uh, because that's where all of, uh, you know, the, the bargain prices are going to be. What, what you really should be doing, in my opinion, as a buyer, instead of trying to hunt for a good business that you get an unfair low price on, is you should take all of the time that you're spending trying to do that and spend all of that time figuring out how to be a really effective and differentiated partner, financial partner right, for, right. For, for certain kinds of business don't owners. Just, don't just be, I totally, totally, totally agree. Because like if, the, if, we, if you and I each had a dollar for every single stupid letter and email that went out that said, hey, by the way, my name is Ryan Tansom and I want to buy a company in your industry for lots of money between, you know, this EBITDA and this EBITDA. It's like, oh my gosh, like, could you be any more vanilla? And it's like, you know, like, you know, and this, I think it ties into, you know, the true, just some of the true problems that these sellers have is like trying to find someone that believes what they believe from their company and the vision. And it's like, it's going to be about the money, but like, like you said, if they got the right professionals, they're going to get to the price of the deal structure that is ideal anyways. So they're looking for, it's more about part, and it's like the match. It's like, match yeah. them, right? I mean, you want to be able to see who are you, what are you, what are you, what are you about, and why should I trust you with my business? The money should also come. I, I just, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I, I think, look, I mean, I think one of the reasons why that's not, you know, why what I suggested is the right use of time for buyers. One of the reasons why the market hasn't fully embraced advice like that is because unlike so many other businesses, the, the very often the business of buying companies, when you're a professional buyer of companies, you need very, very few successful acquisitions in order to yourself be a successful buyer, right? And so if you happen to just get lucky and find a seller who, you know, accepts your price and wants to move quickly and doesn't run a comprehensive process of engaging with a variety of buyers, and you're able to just quickly sneak in there and say, listen, I'll pay you cash and here's the you know, terms of the deal and I'll close in the next 45 days. If you can you know, sort of sneak in there and, and you can get that transaction across the line as a buyer, that's kind of all you need to do very often for that entire year. You know, the, 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 the industry of private equity buyers and corporate buyers, it's not an industry where you, know, you need to be doing dozens and dozens of transactions each year in order for the economics of your, of your business to work. Right. I mean, imagine if, um, you know, think of it this way, right. You, you, you said before we got on the show that, you know, that you and, and your father, you know, you guys ultimately developed a business, a $20 million, you know, a uh, $20 million you know, family owned business in order to generate $20 million in sales in any given one of those years, how many sales did you have to make? How many? Oh my God. I had 20 sales reps on staff and sales engineers and right. And so how many of those, those 20 sales reps, how many of them had to, now how many sales were they making each year in order to hit their number? Well, yeah. So well, the younger reps, it was 35 grand to 45. Well, it's probably more now, but 35 grand in, uh, in revenue per month. And then the right. more senior accounts, it was like a hundred to two hundred and fifty thousand a month. And how many individual sales units was was, was well, that? Well, yeah, oh my god, it was a lot. A lot. Yeah, so that, that, I guess that, you know my, that's my point, right? Mm-hmm. In, in in if you're a professional buyer of businesses, unless you're doing some incredibly incredibly acquisitive roll up where you're buying really small businesses, you know, five ten at a time you only need to close one sale a year. You need to make one (laughs) transaction a year, right? And so, and so I think that's part of the reason why there is, you know, there's a a continued investment of time and money by the industry to cold call business owners, to email them directly, to try and cozy up to them at trade shows and, and see if they can get these sort of proprietary conversations going because again, they only need to close one deal a year in order to get promoted, in order to get paid. And so they don't necessarily need to build a repeatable process by which to identify, uh, you know, acquisitions. They really kind of just need one a year. And so I think that's why, you know, you, you, you see a lot of the the industry still spend a lot of their time sort of uh, trying to find uh, you know, some, some system, but don't you think people that like, I think one of the best things that could ever happen for the middle market like this is for it it is the sellers to get on this because if there's inventory for these buyers then they'll go there. Right. And I think the biggest challenge, like, and you know, I've been trying to solve this problem for five years now. And like, you know, I, sometimes I feel like I'm fighting gravity, Peter, and I don't know if you do too, but like, it is (laughs) like, the, the entrepreneurs, because, you know, you and I both are as well. So not only are we both entrepreneurs, but then we're also helping satisfy the entrepreneur. <laughs> and it's like, you're going, 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 going until all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're out of energy. And then all of a sudden it's like, how do you catch someone where they can get educated to, to like explore the market? Because the more educated they are, and then they, if the inventory, if they, as the, the sellers, and especially if the boomers and the wave is ever coming is to get educated themselves to get on a platform like yours is like the best thing that could happen for the entire economy, in my opinion. I just don't know how you can suck them into that ecosystem because then you're going to like circumvent the buyers and the buyers are going to have to go to where the inventory is. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, look, I think what we, what we, you know, I, I don't think that we at Axial feel, you know, like we're ever going to sort of solve this problem maybe, maybe perfectly or in its entirety. But I think one of the things that we, 
feel really strongly about is um, is is investing in in high quality and free education for uh, entrepreneurs and taking advantage of the internet's reach and distribution in order to do that. So from the earliest days of, of, of starting the business at Axial, we have had an online, you know, digital publication uh, and it started out as a blog and it's really become more of a publication, an online publication. It's a little bit, you know, yes, good content. Bit. you guys do a good job. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of content that profiles transactions and profiles um, how to prepare for transactions and helps entrepreneurs understand the concept of being transaction ready and what does transaction readiness mean and what are the steps um, that are associated with doing that and uh, checklists um, that you want to just sort of have access to just the way a pilot gets in the plane. You know, when you're when you're an entrepreneur and you're getting ready to sell your business, you are like a pilot getting in a plane. You, you, you and you've want, never flown before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and you you really want to have good checklists, right? You want to have good checklists that help you understand. Okay, how should I? Do I understand what this process entails? Do I understand how long it takes? Do I understand who I need to be working with and soliciting advice from as part of this process? Uh, you know, just do I have an understanding of sort of what this flight path is and do I understand how to manage the plane through turbulence? It's just very, and you can create a lot of, if you're really dedicated to it, you can create a lot of information and tools that is really useful and very accurate and really does help and prepare entrepreneurs. And, you know, just two weeks ago, as an interesting example an entrepreneur who is getting ready to sell his business probably in the next two years. He runs a, a software business and uh, it's a perpetual licensed software business that's been migrating to the, uh, to the, the SaaS model. Um, sells a lot of software to both domestic and foreign governments. And he just, his email just landed in my inbox. He said, I've been reading your you know, publication and downloading your uh, checklists and your valuation guides for you know for years now, and I've decided that I you know want to sort of work backwards from selling the business at some point in 2020. Mm -hmm. And um, you know I'd love to just have you know a few minutes of your time to to just talk about a couple of of open questions that that I have. And he had copied his daughter, who's been part of the family business you know for as long as as he uh, has been running it, it was, uh, interestingly, it was a corporate carve out um, where he hmm. did a management buyout from a big corporation, you know, and you can just tell that his timeline and the, the, realist. the you know, the is realistic. You can tell that he's been spending time on the internet looking for, you know, accurate and relatively um, reliable sources of content to educate him. And that I think is a really, really big change for entrepreneurs now is, you know, mm -hmm. the arrival of the internet and the arrival of access to information on uh, how this whole process works has really eliminated in my mind, an excuse for why entrepreneurs can be unprepared for, for these processes. Well, um, it's, you know, it's, it's certainly a hard thing to get prepared for if you've never done it before. And, and reading blogs and articles on the internet can only prepare you so much. But with the arrival of the internet, with podcasts like yours, publications like Axials, and, and lots and lots of other firms that are putting out good, good information on this, there's a lot less of an excuse for entrepreneurs to, you know, just sort of out as sheep among the wolves. Um, it's just there's a lot of good information out there now. They really just need to uh, to be aware of that and to to take the initiative to to prepare themselves so that you know they're not. Um, you know, disappointed after the fact. I think you just, uh, you nailed it, Peter. Cause like, I think about seven years ago when I was sitting in my office and I did have Google up, right. And I'm like, who should I Google? <laughs> like, there wasn't even like this whole exit planning thing was not really a thing. You, I, I mean, I don't know if you're, I mean, seven years ago is a long time in the, the world of online. And like the only blogs you'd see was like 400 words from some CPA like, hey, by the way, you should do a quality of earnings. Like, well, that doesn't help. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I think yeah. you're right. There is a bunch of a bunch of material out there that and it, and is it is difficult, but you know, you have to roll up your sleeves and you have to learn it. I mean, like I said to someone at the end of my speech, I'm like, like, what's the biggest take? I'm like, this is your deal. Like, you have to take ownership over this. You can't totally delegate all this because 
you will be unhappy somehow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a very complex transaction. It requires preparation, it requires uh, working with people who are both skilled and who you trust. You know, you can't just, you know, you can't just pick up your you know head one day and say, you know, I'm tired. I want to sell the business and, and think that you're going to be ready, you know, you know, later that day. It's just, it just, it doesn't work that way. And I think that's the biggest thing that, I hear, you know, Axial provides tools to both the sellers and the buyers and, and, and the tools that we provide to the sell side are overwhelmingly used by investment bankers and M&A advisors. We don't, uh, we don't we cut them out of, uh, of the process. We've partnered with, with that community and try and put tools and information in their hands to help them drive better outcomes for their clients. And I think as a result of having done that, we've built a lot of really, really good direct relationships in, in the market of business brokers and investment bankers. And there's no question that that market has, you know, good, uh, you know, highly skilled professionals and, and also people that are just not doing a lousy job. But that's really no different than any other industry. Amen. Yeah, um, you know, it's the same thing in every industry. It's yeah. not just, you know, not just, you know, the investment banking and business broker. Two percent of the people that are doing really good work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's, it's true. It's true. And in, 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 in really the whole the whole labor economy, there's, you know, there's good people and bad people. It's, they're not just bad people in, in the world of investment banking. But, but my, 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 as much as the press would, would like you to believe uh, that to be the case. Um, and so, you know, what I think they, what I think they really struggle with when they're selling lower middle market businesses really is all of these, you know, preparation related elements when they're working with their clients, right? You know, the and client educated. says, I mean, even I just know, having an educated person. Exactly. An educated person, somebody who has a decent understanding for the timeline, someone who understands the work that goes into being transaction ready. You know, if you've been managing your business for 15 years and you have no coherent, you know, accurate books and records or your books and records are, you know, sort of half of it's in Excel and half of it's in QuickBooks, you just, you have a lot of cleanup work that you need to do. Even if you've got a good business, you just, you have a lot of cleanup work that you have to do um, in order to be able to enter the market and engage with professional buyers and businesses. They just, they need to be able to understand your business. They need to be able to understand how the P&L works and how the dollars go out of the business and go into that. They need to be able to trust that those numbers are more or less exactly accurate. And, you know, when you as an entrepreneur don't appreciate that that's a fair ask and a fair expectation, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, you really, you really have nobody to blame except for yourself. It's just, you know, it, it's, um, it's just, it's part of selling a business that a buyer is going to want to know how does your business work? How does cash come in and out of the business? And are your records and documentation accurate, right? And, and those are, you know, so I think, you know, what we really work very hard at Axial to do when it comes to educating the market is we just, we don't want to coddle entrepreneurs on these topics. It's really important that they not feel coddled. Um, and, 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 you know, just because they're sort of the, the entrepreneur and they're the underdog. We really, we really try to make it very clear what the fair requests and asks mm -hmm. are of them, um, you know, so that they're, you know, that they're not surprised. And I think that's, that's a really, really important piece of it is, is making sure that entrepreneurs don't just get to point the finger at the private equity guys and say, Oh, they're impossible. You know, they, they, they need to take some ownership and, and ensure that, you know, that they really have, have done the, the work to, to make their business understandable to a, you know, to an outside party. I think that's well, well put because and especially given the point that you made earlier, Peter, about like, I mean, there's enough information out there, right. Versus, you know, 10 years ago where they didn't know what PE firms were, they didn't understand value. I mean, right. so, yeah, I think you're very, like, it's very true. And it is, it is, it is difficult Peter, because like, you know, when I see, I've been in part, I've been in these CEO peer groups for a long time now in and out of different versions of Vistage and like local ones here. And yeah, know, everybody talks Peter, And I, I like one of the things that I think about what is one of my missions is like every entrepreneur is talking about, I mean, how many, how many books about scaling you have? I mean, like scale, yeah. revenues, yeah. Yeah, scale, scale, yeah. but it's like, what's it worth? <laughs> like, yeah. how about we like integrate this into the business conversation of all these communities of like, I was sitting in this group once and this guy's like, I'm going to double this, the revenue of my company. I'm like, why? 
And he just kind of looked at me weird. And I was like, why? And he's like, well, because it sounds cool. And I'm like, well, like, you know, you start to peel it back, Peter, of like, well, he was a distributor of a manufacturer of these railings, right? So then he was going to double down on this. I'm like, well, do you have an exclusive with your manufacturer? And he's like, no. I'm like, and your manufacturer goes direct. I'm like, do you ever think about maybe not doing what you just said? <laughs> so I don't know. It's just like, I don't know what the point of that is other than the fact that like, you know, getting eliminating the excuse of like entrepreneurs need to get, like start thinking about that, you know, yeah. and focusing on the value and focusing on this stuff because it is what matters instead of just kind of the old way of managing sales in the business. I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, I totally agree with that. And I think that understanding how you actually build value in your business is, is different completely. It's a completely different undertaking. And while it's related to the ultimate purchase and sale of your business or other businesses, it, it, it is a separate topic for, for business owners to actually better understand how different kinds of activities and different approaches to building their business will lead to uh, either the creation of value or the absence of the creation of value. Mm -hmm. You can definitely double your revenue and not increase the value of your business. There are definitely ways to do that, right? <laughs> and, and you could you could grow your business by you know ten times in terms of revenue, and you could still not necessarily grow the the you know the durable value of the business There's a lot of ways to do or, that too. or be flat in revenue and increase the value <laughs> i mean to take that exactly you know by contrast you know that's exactly right so i think you know i think understanding how value actually gets created and how it gets stored and, and how it gets preserved is very related to ultimately you know the 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 exit planning process and the exit preparation and exit, you know, execution process, but it is a separate discipline. It's definitely a, a separate discipline uh, and a different area. It's very, very important to, to have a good handle on that. If you're, you know, in the middle innings of your journey as an entrepreneur, right. Or if you're in the early innings. Um, but if, you know, if you're in the ninth inning and you still haven't, haven't really dug in on, on those issues, then, it's going to be challenging to, to, to exit your business at, at a value that, you know, that that's probably going to be exciting to you. Yeah. You're more, I think clean, the, you know, clean up mode, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think one of the other things that, you know, the, the value conversation is obviously a very interesting one in terms of really just understanding how does value get created in, in businesses? How do you create equity value in, for shareholders in a business? But I think what's, what's, what's also quite interesting when it comes to value is, um, you know, when you're a privately held business, your, your business isn't being valued every day by the stock market, right? You don't mm -hmm. get, you know, at, at 930 every morning, there's a value for Apple and there's a value for Apple every millisecond of the day until the exchanges close at 4 p.m., right? And then there's even an aftermarket where, you know, they're continuing to trade. When you, when you run a privately held company, there is no market value for your business day to day. And so, when you decide to raise capital for your business or sell your business, those are the moments in time when your private company is going to, to receive a valuation, right? It's going to receive a valuation. And the way that it's going to receive that valuation is not going to be based upon what some computer spits out is your valuation. The way that a private company ultimately receives its valuation is based upon what a set of buyers says they're willing to pay for, for the business at right. that point in time, right? Yep. And so that's why this sort of exit preparation process is so important. And that's why assembling the right set of potential buyers is so important is if you only approach one buyer for your business and that buyer you know, says, I think your business is worth $20 million and you don't approach anybody else. You have, you're, you're not you're creating, a, you're, you're not creating a set of conditions where you can converge on a market-based price for your business. Whereas if you approach 50 buyers or a hundred buyers and all of those buyers are actively looking to buy businesses like yours, they understand the market for businesses like yours and they also understand that they are competing to buy your business among a variety of other 
buyers of businesses, you can begin to form a real market around your business that allows you to actually develop real price discovery around what is the right. value of your business at, at, at some point in time. And so you could build an incredibly valuable business that has great intrinsic value and then blow it completely based upon how you approach the market of, uh, of buyers. If you built a business that's got wonderful you know, customers that pay you again and again and again, your product is very defensible and differentiated. It's very hard for competitors to deliver the same product as you. And then you go out into the market and you approach one buyer and they say, I think your business is worth $20 million. And it's clear that your business could potentially be worth 30 million or 40 million or $50 million. It doesn't matter that your business might be worth $40 million. What matters is that at that point in time, you've only created a market with one data point. And so that's the value that your business has. And I think that's, you know, that, that's another piece of valuation um, and, and understanding valuation that well, business and, owners and, which really is, need, to, need to understand that. No, I totally agree. And you, and you like so many stories of one buyer and then like people were like, yeah. So like absolutely, totally agree with your comments. And one interesting we're actually putting this in our book and the kind of the concepts that we've, we've related. You mentioned intrinsic value. And I love that because I think that that terminology needs to be pushed out there more of what is the value of your cash flow, just the discounted cash flow valuation of understanding the value and the risk of that cash flow. Because I think if you know, if you go back to your point of like, if it is truly worth $30 million, the discounted cash flow should prove that. And it's about how much could your business, could your business pay for itself? Right. If you were to actually put some debt on it or whatever, like what can your cash flow and the sustainability of your cash flow pay for itself? Then no mm -hmm. matter what, like you go out and you, I, in our book, we call it uh, the intrinsic value versus the transaction value. So you're talking about like, okay, the transaction value might be above and beyond the intrinsic because of strategic partnerships or like overlays or, you know, different synergies versus like you always like if the owner can just always focus on the intrinsic, then you can always get an SBA loan or some sort of, you know, so some financial buyer will be able to buy it. It might not be as much as like, but like you said, you know, creating that market buy, that market will allow you to actually truly understand what the, the rest of the world values your company at. Yeah. I mean, I think what's really interesting actually is when you sort of take these sort of three, you take sort of these three drivers of value for a business, right? One is the intrinsic, just sort of economically rational value of a business based upon the business's capacity to generate cash flow in the future, right? Mm -hmm. and, and the ability for it to do that in a way that is predictable and, uh, and, and protected, right? And that's mm -hmm. just sort of the economic rational animals uh, approach to assessing the value of the business, <laughs> yeah. right? Then you have the you know, then you have at any given time, you have a market of buyers for a business, you know, that could look at the business and just employ, you know, financial analysis to sort of arrive at uh, probably a relatively similar value to what the intrinsic value is. But what I think is ends up being one of the more interesting elements of valuation, both in the public markets and the private markets, is ultimately businesses value is determined by by human beings and human beings are subject to, to psychology, right? <laughs> and human beings are, you know, filled with virtue and vices. They're filled with, you know, benevolence and patience and generosity, but they're also filled with jealousy and envy and greed and avarice. And so um, these emotions can actually be very, very, very powerful influencers on the prices and the values um, for, for, for different businesses. So and um, good, good, shrewd deal makers, whether it's the entrepreneur himself or herself, or whether it's a good, shrewd investment banker who you've hired, can 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 look for these things and can 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 uh, potentially anticipate these things. And some of the time, when you see businesses that are being bought for what look like just totally crazy valuations, what's really happening is. Usually, <laughs> exactly. Something's happening that is moving the human being away from an intrinsic value, you know, value calculation of the business, and they either really, really need to to make an investment because otherwise it's going to have been years and years and years before they actually got a deal done, or they're desperate to affiliate 
themselves in their career with your company. They want to be someone who invested in Facebook and known to have been an early investor in Facebook because that will you know, propel their own personal career in the next five to 10 years. There's all of these other sort of elements that can sort of creep into <laughs> how a human being behaves in a deal-making context. And, I wouldn't say. Um, I would even say, Peter, that they don't creep in. They're the foundation. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, it's right. <laughs> it's in every, every single deal. Yeah. Well, a lot of it depends on who you who you've brought to the table, right? You know, which which buyers are at the table. Have yeah. you brought someone who is very, you know, sort of cold blooded, cool headed, and, and and a composed, rational buyer, or you know, do you have a couple of people at the table who have a huge amount of intangible desires that aren't necessarily reflected in discounted cash flow mm-hmm. that is going to ultimately make them pay you know 10%, 20%, 50% more than than the rational buyer. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's you know the, the the some of that is luck, some of that is good deal making, but what I can tell you for sure is you know if you're fielding inquiries for your business one by one or you're allowing one buyer to approach you and say, hey, I'd love to buy your business, your chances of being able to set up a, an environment in which something like that can happen really, really have plummeted because you know they effectively are the only one at the table at, uh, at that point in time, and that gives them all the leverage and, and typically gives you as, as the entrepreneur none. So if you want to, to try and get the animal spirits of human beings to, you know, to really uh, come out come of the woodwork, <laughs> your, your best bet is to, is to be approaching multiple buyers at the same point in time with a good story and a well-prepared, you know, uh, you know, set of materials. That's, you know, that's definitely far and away uh, your best bet. And it gives you usually a plan A and a plan B and a plan C. Sometimes you get lucky and someone pays you a crazy number. Well, with that being said, I think that's a, and I know we got to wrap up because you got to run here, but the, I mean, that's the point of Axiom, right? Is to increase the exposure that people have to this to make it, you know, less manual. So what, what are the, you know, what are the top resources, the top uh, ways that you would point the listeners to if they wanted to go learn more, or if there's some, maybe a top guide or um, maybe some other tools that we can put links into the podcast, any, uh, yeah. So uh, a couple things. So, I mean, you can go uh, to uh, www.axial.net anytime you want. As a business owner, you can uh, sign up for free and get started. Uh, in addition to um, signing up for free on axial.net, we also have uh, this publication that I mentioned to you, uh, uh, Ryan. It's called middlemarketreview.com. Um, and you can subscribe there for you know a weekly newsletter with a bunch of tips and tricks and tools. There's a bunch of uh, things that you can download for free, valuation calculators and checklists and stuff like that that I have found to be useful for me as I've uh, done different deals and raised money for Axial over the last 10 years myself. Um, so you can check out all those things, and as an entrepreneur, you can get started with all of this stuff for free. We don't... Um, you know, we don't really have uh, a set of tools and services for entrepreneurs that are paid for. Everything for entrepreneurs on Axial is uh, part of the free service. And we really, as a business, we really make our money um, through a revenue model with the investment banking community and with buyers that are looking to buy your business. So if you're an entrepreneur, it's just a nice free resource and, and you can That's get great. started there anytime you've got a connection to the internet. Peter, it's been an absolute blast having you show. If yeah, Ryan, thanks very much. With any, I don't know if you want to drop your contact information, just sort of point people to Axial, it's up to you. Yeah, no, absolutely. If, if any anybody wants to reach out to me just privately offline, I'm, I'm always talking with entrepreneurs and carving out 15 to 30 minutes to talk to an entrepreneur and, and, and lend a hand. My email address is peter at axial.net. That's A-X-I-A-L.net. And uh, yeah, I'm available anytime for a confidential conversation or any, any way that we can be helpful to, to entrepreneurs. That's what we're here for. Thanks, Peter, for coming on the show, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, Ryan, thanks very much. Appreciate the opportunity. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Peter. There's only really a couple major takeaways that I would uh, lend to you to really get your butt in gear. If you're a seller, start educating yourself, go to GEXP Collaborative's website, start reading the guides, downloading the white papers, go to axial.net, download the valuation tools, read the checklist, and even start doing some research on what the buyers are reading and the investment bankers are reading because this is your time and this is going to be your game to figure out how to sell and exit the biggest 
asset that you have and your baby. So start leveling up your knowledge because when you when you Peter said it perfectly is there's really no more excuses anymore because this is this should be your next job. You you really need to take ownership on how to then hire the the right advisors and have the right tools and the right information and there's so much stuff out there. And on the flip side, if you want to go to axial.net and you want to acquire some of these companies in order to get you to your exit, it's an amazing tool and a platform that just out of the conversations that you will have, you'll level up your knowledge. So I think it's a home run and I really hope you go out and you check it out and you start diving in at the bare minimum, go in and sign up for his middle market review weekly email because it's a home run. If you enjoy the podcast, please, please, please go on iTunes, give me a rating. I use it to get great guests on the show like Peter and all the other people that have been on the show. It's I just want to continue to bring great resources to you, the listeners, because you guys have been really, really loyal. And I really appreciate the the people that have been sending the great feedback, shoot me emails. And if you have anybody that you think would be a great guest, reach out to me. Or if you have a topic that you're interested in that I, you'd really like me to dive into, let me know because I'm happy to. I'm always looking for great, good content. So with that being said, I will see you next week.